This is Erica in Edmonton. Shannon in Durham. And Chip in Durham. Welcome to the Audio Guide to Babylon 5, Episode 68, The Summoning. Yes, welcome back once again. As always, we are very grateful that you are joining us as we continue our journey through the epic arc that is Babylon 5. And holy cats, the plot factory has been working overtime. Things are a-moving. Do you two have any general thoughts on season four so far before we dive in? Definitely, uh, we're. I still feel like we're sort of on a bullet train here. Uh, things <laughs> things keep happening and happening and happening, and they keep piling up. We talked a little earlier this season about the episodes maybe not feeling quite as eventful as they might seem to those of us who've sort of who've, who've watched the series before and been around the block a little bit. But I think that this episode, you know, so much happens, so much builds that mm-hmm. uh, it definitely feels different to me. I would say the same thing, yet yeah, we, we still get the occasional conversation that lets characters be characters. But yeah, as Chip said, th- this, is, this is a roller coaster. <laughs> this is a roller coaster, and I'm not sure when we're going to hit bottom. <laughs> Well put. Well put. Well, if you are uh, are on the roller coaster at this point, uh, these are the roller the coaster. Loops. <laughs> uh, sorry. Uh, these are the loops and dips and, and whirls that uh, that you would have needed to travel already to get to this point. And that is that uh, Captain John Sheridan, the head of both an army of light and the Babylon 5 space station, traveled to Zahadum, the homeworld of the ancient and terrible shadows, <clears throat> space mob, and dealt them quite a blow by blowing up their largest city. He didn't die in the effort, however. Instead, he found the first of the first ones, Lorien. Ambassador Londo Molari and the Centauri thought they were putting a puppet on the throne, but it turned out to be a monster. Good thing he has a handy captured Narn around in Jakar, who has promised to help him kill the Emperor in exchange for the freedom of his homeworld. The rest of the non-aligned worlds are either poised to join Minbari Ambassador and lover to Captain Sheridan, Delen, in a desperate attack on Zahadum, or they are retreating to their homeworlds to lick their wounds. Oh, and Mr. Garibaldi is still missing. But that brings us to the summoning, in which Jakar almost dies at the hand of Emperor Cartaja's torturers, Veer decides death is the only way to deal with the Banana Pants Emperor, Ivanova and Marcus discover a hidden Vorlon fleet, Mr. Garibaldi is found, new Vorlon ambassador Kosh doesn't like furniture, or apparently his assistant Lita, the non-aligned races, who are not in favor of Delenn's attack, decide she shouldn't go either, and they are ready to do something about it. But Sheridan and Lorian show up in a spaceship to convince everyone maybe they can beat the Shadows after all. And the Vorlon fleet start blowing up planets with shadow bases, even if those planets happen to have millions of other innocent people on them. Whew, yeah, that's that's a lot of things. Like, I tried to boil it down to, like, one sentence about everything that happened, and holy cats, it's still quite a few sentences. Yeah, it is. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so we've got all of those plot strands that are sort of spooling out now, episode to episode. Um, you know, many of those strands were plucked during this episode. Where do you guys want to start? Anything that you're really, really excited to dive into? There is too much. <laughs> I can't no. even sum up. I don't know. <laughs> All the things. Yes. You know, the episode title is The Summoning. 
and I believe <laughs> the title actually refers to uh, Sheridan uh, making his uh, big statement in the in the in the corridor. Uh, so I'd like I'd kind of like to start there if we might. That works. Yeah, actually, I wasn't entirely certain where the summoning as a title fit in. Once again, we have a Babylon 5 title that's a little bit obscure in what it means. Yeah, mm-hmm. I didn't know if it was supposed to be that or maybe if it was supposed to be uh, all of the the races that are sort of lined up against Delenn being summoned to this rally. Um, I, I guess I couldn't really come up with, with much else. Um, uh, unless, unless we have, I don't know... Uh, yeah, I've got nothing else. <laughs> that's, that's it. <laughs> I think at first, before we watched the episode, I was thinking more along the lines of um, sh- of Susan and Marcus, you know, going out to try mm. and gather some more first ones. And then I watched the episode, and they didn't find any first ones. Yeah. <laughs> they found something else. <laughs> that, so yeah. that that doesn't work either. Nope. Uh, titles, titles. But yeah, let's let's talk about uh, let's talk about Sheridan and the. And the the summoning and the fact that he walks in like a, a big damn hero at the end there with some very, very obvious uh, low camera angles shooting up at him. To, I mean, he looked he looked like the stereotypical, you know, figure of power standing mm-hmm. on that uh, that balcony over everyone else. It was it was quite a moment. How did you guys feel about that? It's so damn different. Um when he makes his uh, big pronouncements in previous seasons, and the most obvious example is uh, when he draws holographic projectors mm-hmm. sends him all over the station to announce the secession, he is solemn. He is resolute, but he is, you know, there's no, he, he's not like pumping energy into the room. Well, he he's still a not, professional. He, he at, mm-hmm. the t- at that time, he's still a military professional. Yeah. Um, at you know when he says at this time Babylon five secedes for birth you know he's being tough and mm-hmm. but he's not but he's not he's not rallying this time he is actively saying that I am the guy you follow me this is where we're going this is what we're going to do you know can I count on you can I count on you Mm-hmm. Um, and that is that is very different. It is very different. It's a little jarring to see. Uh, it is uh, it is impressive. I think it's a really impressive moment. I also note that in this better light, we see that somehow uh, Lorian has the magical ability to give a haircut. But <laughs> but you know this 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 feels like a turning point for the character, and we know that something big is about to happen. Yeah, although I I do think that part of this could also be chalked up to his sort of canniness as far as, you know, sussing out a room and figuring out how people are going to react to him. Because when he arrives, there's an awful lot of emotion in the room and it's all being channeled. The the argument's about to fully break out. Yeah. Yep. All of that is being channeled against Dylan. And I think that he is a wise enough leader that he also recognizes that that you know some situations it's really hard to to diffuse and in this case he just sort of you know turns that back on itself and sort of channels all of that energy just in a different direction he he deflects it and and sends it you know so everybody's everybody's still worked up at the end but they're getting worked up about coming together instead of getting worked up about uh tearing each other apart so i i think that was you know regardless of of whether that was supposed to be some sort of a character turning point at, here i i think that this is this is captain sheridan being the smart guy again yeah he's yeah. not the, i think 
he's not the only person to come back from Zahadum. But he's the only person to come back on his terms. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I, yeah. An, Anna got Anna got basically mind wiped and was not herself. Morden mm-hmm. pretty much pretty clearly sold his soul to the shadows and all this other stuff. You know, he's the he he is the hero, and you know it's convenient that all of the uh, ambassadors and agitators say you know no one has ever come back from Zahadum at the very time that. He uh, steps up the <laughs> stairs mm-hmm. and uh, goes on there. Dramatic I, I, license. I got better. Um, <laughs> yeah. Hello, Monty Python. Yeah. yeah. I think the, the only thing that really bothers me about that sequence, and I honestly can't think of a way that JMS could have changed it to fix it. It really feels quite a bit like, you know, Sheridan coming in to to rescue Delenn from a situation she wasn't going to be able to fix. And that bothers me a bit. It, it bothers me on Dylan's behalf. But like I said, I genuinely cannot figure out what I might have done differently. So I, I think I know what I would have done. I would have had Dylan not come into the middle of the crowd at, at ground level. I would have had her yeah, be that's smart enough to walk in along the same spot where the, you know the other major speakers were, so that she mm-hmm. had that you know sort of position of not necessarily authority, but at least the high ground to, right. to speak to them. That's true. Her, her, her. One of her character flaws, I guess, is a sort of a an excessive optimism about the power mm-hmm. of reason. Yeah, yeah, and about the that. goodness in people's hearts. Right, and and we saw at the and end, that we have to let them speak. We we cannot squash what they're saying. Yeah, which the way she yeah. handled the uh, League of Non-Aligned Worlds in the Hour of the Wolf. This is sort of along the same lines. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, I can see the right course. Why can't the rest of you see the right course? If you just listen to me, I can make you understand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Although I do feel like uh, I feel like over the, the course of the episodes since Captain Sheridan died, uh, as she thought he died, that while, yes, her all the decisions that she made were reasonable decisions and they made sense, I, I got the impression somewhat I think based on the performance that at the same time she was also acting out of desperation and sorrow and it wasn't it, it those things were both earned i mean of mm-hmm. course there's a, there's a reason to be desperate because the shadows are, are are going to strike back she's right about that and sorrow because yeah captain sheridan is dead as far as she knows so I, but i think that part of the reason that there's not as much um reaction positive reaction from the other non-aligned worlds is because they can kind of smell that too on her like they mm-hmm. whether or not they agree with with what she says there if if that thought is coming from somebody who is acting out of not entirely reasonable you know just not just reason might be tougher to follow so mm-hmm. oh delenn but it was nice to see it was nice to see them reunited. I just the the oh, direction yeah. the direction of that scene was another piece that kind of bothered me on Delenn's behalf in the same way that that, that bothered you Shannon because mm-hmm. you get not only do you have the low angle of Captain Sheridan making him, you know, look like a, a very strong powerful figure, the camera then of course has to have a high angle looking down at the rest of the crowd and that's where right. Delenn is. Right. So we have this very, you know, sort of steep angled shot down at her and that made me feel a little uncomfortable. On her behalf yeah mm-hmm. speaking of which this might be a good time to uh talk a little bit about direction um mm-hmm. this has been this is one of the episodes that i found the most fascinating 
in the I saw two very different areas of directorial competency. There's the camera movement and the, the the sort of physical blocking and tackling, which seemed really pedestrian to me. And then the acting, though, I thought that this was a really well-acted scene. We'll get to other areas uh, later in this podcast, but Box Leitner is on point in this scene. Delin is on point. Uh, Lanier is on point. The extras, maybe not quite so much. <laughs> of those two aliens that were, that were speaking from, from the, the balcony area, I thought one of them was very good. Uh, the Drazi was very good. Yeah. The other guy, who, the other one who I'm not sure what race that was. But That's the was, Hayek, I think. The Hayek, yeah. Oh, so not good. And the fact mm-hmm. that they were both next to each other, acting against each other, just made, made the Hayek look even worse. Yeah. <laughs> but everybody else, I agree. Yeah. I, it's, a, it's a really well-directed episode and in terms of directing the actors uh Mm -hmm. which i would point to particularly centauri prime on that one i don't Mm -hmm. know if that's a i don't know if that's a great segue point erica or if you've got more to say about uh about sheridan and delenn here no i mean i could always squee about sheridan and delenn for a while but this didn't feel like a very (laughs) this didn't feel like a squee worthy episode when it came to them i think for the reasons that we've already talked about so i am perfectly happy to move on to talking about centauri prime which uh you know as 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 big and glorious as as the scene with sheridan returning was i think the centauri prime stuff was every bit as powerful and moving just in a very very different way we have jakar being tortured which steven um so he's tortured twice we get to see him in the throne room with that awful sort of like crown of thorns looking thing that's that's on his head and then later on you see him supposed to be a jester outfit yeah yeah, you see him whipped 39 times. Steven, as soon as the episode was done, pulled up the YouTube video of uh, something which I had never seen before. I've never seen Jesus Christ Superstar. But oh, good, there's, me either. <laughs> there's, there's a song called 39 Lashes where it's actually like the, the YouTube clip is, is quite short. And it is, uh, it is Jesus Christ being lashed 39 times. And, you know, the, the, I think it's Pontius Pilate who is counting, it, counting them out, counts them out the same way Cartagia does. I, I, huh. Even though I had never heard of this before, I fight after seeing both. I find it very difficult to think that that was not some sort of direct homage. I mean, it's yeah, exactly inter- 39. Yeah. yeah, that's interesting because Stephen emailed us as well to point that out. Um, and I, I'm aware of Jesus Christ Superstar. I have never seen it um, so all the way through. I was not aware of this moment either. But yeah, I mean, in my notes, I had jotted down, why 40? 30 <laughs> would have been enough time to build the suspense and do mm-hmm. everything that you mm-hmm. wanted to do. The cuts between Londo and Veer and uh, Cartagia as, and, and Jakar, you know, it, why did it have to be 40? And even though I personally don't remember JMS ever mentioning being a fan of musicals, um, but <laughs> it's well, not a musical; it's a rock opera. I was I was told that in no uncertain terms. Right, so right, sure right. Because, right. Because it's a musical. Stephen, because Stephen <laughs> because Stephen would accept it as a rock opera, but not as a yeah, mu- musical. He hates musicals. Gotcha. gotcha. So it's a um, musical. so I have seen <laughs> I have seen um, Jesus Christ Superstar, and but I did not remember it in this context. But when I watched the YouTube video, you know, in terms of directing. Uh, the staging, the ripping of the shirt and all this other stuff, it looks extremely similar. So, But this is also a more direct biblical reference because 
uh, and I'm I, I'm I'm citing from the Lurker's Guide here, but uh, <laughs> the Book of Deuteronomy warns against whipping a man more than forty times. More than that will cause one to lose the respect of one's brothers. Um, and um, hmm. I'm continuing to read from the Lurker's Guide here. Some renditions of the New Testament also show Jesus being whipped thirty nine times by Pilate. Though that number doesn't appear in the Bible itself, the Apostle Paul was whipped 39 times, which was the maximum number under Jewish law then, to ensure that miscounting wouldn't cause one to give more than 40 lashes. So Hmm. it's not just pop culture, but there's a historical slash religious allegory involved here as well. Okay, so maybe that's... Yeah, that strikes me as a more likely source that that JMS would refer to, Hmm. because he has quite quite often gone to religious sources um as archetypes of symbolism right mm-hmm. but uh back to but to Stephen's point absolutely though if you watch that scene in uh jesus christ superstar it is very very similar down to king herod uh you know fat in his gold medallion sort of sitting back and sort of reacting as the count goes on um, mm-hmm. You know, the the characters are doing different things from Cartagia and Londo, but the staging and the rhythm and the, you know, all that stuff is very, very similar. So maybe we could put that down to McPherson is the one who saw the movie? I think they both. I, I think I think they both. I, I, okay. I, it, it, Stephen's right. This this had mm-hmm. to have been a direct influence. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was, you know, especially at the time, I think Jesus Christ Superstar was just a big enough thing that it was sort of in the zeitgeist that, you know, everybody kind of knew about it, even if they hadn't seen it. So somebody being in media, seeing that wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Nobody in the episode actually says, what's the buzz? Tell me what's a happening. But, uh, you know. <laughs> it's implied. It's strongly implied. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, that scene is, the, the, the torture scene is powerful. There are a couple of cringy bits in the garden scene, but on balance, I really like the garden scene. The comedy bit where Cartagia's uh, wiping his hands with a towel and then sort of tossing it and the, the, the servant who's been holding the bowl and just fl- <laughs> flies it past him. And the servant is clearly uncomfortable, but is clearly not going to show it. You know, it's, right. it's really dark humor, but I really like it. I love that moment, too. The only thing that bothered me about that scene was just not only just how covered in blood his hands were, but the fact that they're still stained red when he's done washing his hands. I mean, like blood, you know, it doesn't take that much to to get blood off um, if it's recent. And maybe it does Narn blood. Maybe Narn blood immediately stains your hand like Kool-Aid. Maybe. But but yeah, that that part I felt was distracting me from it was. the delight of Wortham Krimmer and just reeling off this dialogue and never breaking character once. Just mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, I think the the only somewhat weak bit for me in that scene is just I'm I'm having a little trouble with with Veer in terms of Stephen First's acting. I feel like it's just just a hair over the top. It's I and agree. that's the, that's another yeah. thing that distracts me. Yeah. Actually, line, yeah, I did have that in my notes because mm-hmm. the one thing that I wrote down after the after quibbling over uh how easily bloodstains wash or not was mm-hmm. that that made the entire scene feel like a setup for Veer's punchline. And I didn't feel like it came off. Yeah, and I think that that's an acting choice, not a script thing. I think that oh, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, I, I think that if he had underplayed that line, it would have worked a whole lot better. 
Um, there's it also the the line also the line does suffer a little bit from the setup. You remember how I said there's got to be another way. We all remember how you said it. You said it just a few minutes ago. Yeah. This episode is so recap happy because yes. uh, we are we are firmly in the middle of the '90s. People are not used to binge watching. Um, people are going to miss episodes all the time, and there's not going to be an easy catch up. Babylon Five at this point is very assiduous in trying to help make sure that you don't get lost along the way when you miss a week. And that was the other. Oh goodness yeah. that 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 happens all over the place this episode. It does, and I think that the the most egregious spot of that for me was actually at the beginning of the in the garden scene, where basically Londo and Vera are recapping everything about this plot mm-hmm. line, like in case you didn't remember. And I, like you said, Chip, there's there's a good reason for this, and I understand it. But watching it with an eye from you know current television at this point, it's. Uh, it is not the way it needs to be done anymore, so it, it stands out a lot mm-hmm. more that, than it That being would. said, does it – because Stephen is watching it for the first time and he's watching it uh, every two weeks, does it help him? You know, he he didn't mention anything about it. So, I mean, he's he's not generally one to comment on exposition overdumps like like I do. He's more about the direction and stuff, but, but he hasn't said anything about it. I think in this case – not even Steven really needed it because it was just the last couple of episodes where this all played out. Um, I think in other cases where we have talked about something that happened a couple of years ago and did a little mini information dump about that sort of thing, I do think that those cases are very helpful for Steven. But uh, something like this where it's just, you know, it just happened, like that's maybe not yeah, quite Yeah, in so theory. Necessary. I mean, this was still PTEN and we couldn't be mm-hmm. 100% certain that they were going to play every single week correctly true very so. true yep so so i'm not faulting them for putting that in there it just it it it, it there's a reason for it but it does feel a little bit yeah. a little bit awkward uh Stephen first, the, Stephen first does do a much better job by the way in the uh torture chamber scene oh um, yeah and, oh god and that, yes. that that is that is super well performed by all of the characters involved i love the way that londo just sort of mouth the word scream um, mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, Andreas Katsoulis delivers this very well. He, I, I feel like he might have needed counseling after shoot after that day's <laughs> shooting. It all holds together pretty well. This is one of those episodes where I feel like Cartagia comes across as Worth Worth of performance really does sell Cartagia's madness uh, mm-hmm. and his danger. Some of the lines, some of the line deliveries about just just one more scream, you know, the lines fall just this side of being too much and too unbelievable. But the the delivery uh, delivers. Mm-hmm. It does. I was I, I did not expect that I was going to have quite such a strong reaction to this scene as I did because I've seen it several times before, and yet I was completely tense, literally sort of sitting up on the edge of my seat. And when Jakar finally screamed, it was wrenching for me in, mm-hmm. a, in a way I wasn't expecting just because I knew it was coming, but it still had that profound and powerful effect on me because it was so, so well done. 
And I mean, I, I also quite like the the scene that we get in the prison cell. Um, it's, it, it's another, I think, good back and forth between Londo and Jakar. Uh, Stephen did not say that it was his new favorite or anything. He still likes the previous one. But mm-hmm. the thing I like about this is sort of the, the back and forth here is an interesting philosophical, you know, logical conversation between the two of them, because Jakar points out that if he were to scream and give in on this, he would no longer be a Narn. And Londo immediately fires back. What if you're dead? Are you in yeah. men? So, I, I mean, they both have very strong points. They're seeing thing from, things from from their own point of view, and they articulate it very well. And it just that that worked for me. The, the conversation itself mostly worked for me. I was glad to see Londo, you know, cut back at him. You know that that mm-hmm. it, it doesn't help if you're dead. You know that it doesn't. You're not going to free Narn if you get yourself killed before I can pull my trigger. That, you know, that sort of irritated me a bit. It's like, yes, Jakar, we know you are passionate. We know you have beliefs. And this might be a place to compromise, dude. Um, (laughs) And the only other thing that bothered me about that particular scene was, for whatever reason, I could not stop thinking, how thick is that door? You guys are talking kind of loud. There's a guard right outside, we find out, when Londo opens the door. So that was the only other thing that was sort of bothering me a bit is that the practicality of, uh, of this plot. That has been bothering me all the way along because you get Londo and Veer talking about things. I mean, you do have a nice scene last time of Londo like sweeping for bugs in his mm-hmm. apartment. So like that makes sense. But then they're just like out in the garden and talking about things. That's That right. seems like a very un- unwise decision. But it does actually make the beginning of the the torture, the end torture scene work better because they've been what to me looks like rather careless with the mm-hmm. with all their talk. So the fact that they're being summoned in the middle of the night to this private chamber of Emperor right. Cartagia in the dark with a sudden spotlight on them, like th- there is definitely that moment of, oh my God, we've been found out, which is what they're right. thinking. And that's what I was thinking the first time I saw it too. And that, uh, you know, doesn't end up being the case uh, because they're just, they're just there to see Londo's new toy be, be tortured, but mm-hmm. it, it works. Yeah. Well, anything else about the uh, Centauri Prime corner of things before we uh, zip back a few light years back to Babylon 5? Nope. Let's go. All right. Um, Garibaldi's back, you guys. Hey! They they found him. Yes. Yeah. Stephen was very uh, surprised to see Zach uh, on the away mission. He's like, Zach gets an away mission? Has he ever even left the station before? I was like, (laughs) "Um, I don't don't think so. Uh, But he, he... he follows up on the information and doesn't have time to try to track down Jakar, mm-hmm. um, poor Jakar, and and yeah, is able to determine where uh, Garibaldi's ship was last seen and the ship that he is on launches a an escape pod just before it uh, it blows up after being shot just a couple of times by their star furies and and they're able Convenient. to save him and get him home. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Zach does not seem like he completely buys that they right. were this lucky which i just i love that about him like he's he's good at his job he's he's always it's it's kind of very garibaldi because garibaldi is always has always been the guy who has been a little bit suspicious and and really wanting proof of everything and 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 i i like i feel like zach is he's following garibaldi's footsteps it's it's nice Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah kind of creepy uh that he's been saran wrapped yes (laughs) yeah Shrink-wrapped Garibaldi. Special delivery. Totally and gross. Yeah, and there's just enough here to, you know, we, we know that somebody in a Psycop uniform was there, 
an episode or two ago, and we know that the Psycops are capable of, like, totally screwing somebody over. Remember Talia? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, just the, the this time around especially, the initiate program and then his eyes popping yeah. open really, really bothered me this time around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Stephen was like, oh, Garibaldi's an android. I was like, um, <laughs> I, not quite. <laughs> I don't think so, but, you know, we'll we'll just watch and see, dear. <laughs> right. Uh, now, I don't know that we, again, I don't know that we needed to have his flashback memory uh, while mm-hmm. he's there. You know, uh, I said I don't remember. You know, again, again, mm-hmm. we're recapping for everybody. But, mm-hmm. yeah. but that, no, mm-hmm. that was a good bit. That was a good bit. And, then yep. it, and it, it struck me as kind of interesting that we get, you know, Sheridan coming back. And I mean, Sheridan probably doesn't even realize that Garibaldi has been missing all right. this time, you know, unless somebody just just fills him in. It's just no, it, Garibaldi it didn't like a, know that Sheridan was gone and presumed dead. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. The both of them kind of show up again at exactly the same time. But neither one of them, neither one of them experienced the, you know, the, the fear and the pain and the loss of the other. They're just back together. Yeah, and, and then w- when they get back together to actually have a conversation, there's this new guy with Sheridan. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Garibaldi seems, I think, very justifiably uh, kind of suspicious and upset because I keep I keep flashing back to that first, I think it was one of the first scenes of, of the War Council, I think, when Marcus had just joined them. And Sheridan sits down at the head of the table and says... You know, no more secrets. We're going to tell each other stuff because secrets are what get people killed. And I remember just punching the air at that moment. And then he comes back now from Zahadum and suddenly there's an, you know, an unknown alien sitting at the end of the room. And he's not even telling anybody his name at first until Garibaldi asks about it. I mean, mm-hmm. I I am totally on Team Garibaldi right here because because I feel like that's that's kind of a, a change from the way that Sheridan had been operating in the past. And, yeah. And I, there's mm-hmm. and there's something else new, which is that. Sheridan, at this point, gives everybody a, a, a lecture on just exactly what's really going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he, he lays down a big info dump on exactly what's going on with this war. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And these, uh, the episode moves so quickly and does so much stuff that if you're not careful, you'll miss the fact that this is kind of a, everything you knew about the Shadow War. He just tells you right now that it's a little different. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then we find out that it's 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 quite a bit different because the hidden Vorlon fleet is, you know, yes, they are against the shadows, but now they're against the shadows so much that they really don't care who gets caught in the crossfire. Yeah. Everybody is in trouble. That's really fascinating to me that uh, that that Sheridan lays out basically the Shadow War, uh, the, the Shadow War stuff, and in this very episode, Marcus and Marcus and Ivanova have been going out looking for first ones, and mm-hmm. they don't find any. What they do happen to find is a hyperspace buzzle, bubble full of Vorlon ships, and big Vorlon big ships. Vorlon mm-hmm. ships, big Vorlon ships. And and then and then at the end of that conversation in um in, in Sheridan's quarters, I mean in Sheridan's office, we find out that the Vorlons are doing some really really bad stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Erica Chekhov's Chekhov's hyperspace bubble. Yeah, Erica, boss, how do you characterize <laughs> the Vorlons these days? Well, I have in my notes uh, a quote from Stephen uh, at the end here. Uh, after the episode was done, he says, So, 
the Vorhans, the, the Vorlans are a-holes after all, I guess. <laughs> Which I think is, <laughs> he didn't say a-holes, by the way. Um, yeah, it, it, and of course he followed that up with, I knew, I never did trust them. So I think that, you know, yes, we have been led to believe all this time that the Vorlons are these, you know, angelic, literally angelic, great, wise creatures. When it turns out, that is not the case at all. They are stroppy children <laughs> to a certain extent, just like the younger races are. They just happen to be like they're the older brothers, the obnoxious older, you know, noogie giving older brothers of the universe. <laughs> and and yeah, they're they have just as many problems as the shadows do, or maybe not just as many, but they certainly are ending up having similar problems interacting with the younger races. The shadows were sort of, for the most part, getting other races to blow each other up. And now the Vorlons are just like doing it themselves. Mm-hmm. It sucks. It's scary. Yes. Very, very much so. Yeah, that's got to be one of that's got to be one of JMS's better moves that we've Mm -hmm. seen so far in this series is to take these mysterious beings that seem to be, you know, on our side and then give all of these reasons why they're the good guys. As you said, the, the visual symbolism of looking angelic of um, supposedly helping races develop what they need to fight the shadows and then to turn around and, make the decision that they do that we're going to excise everything around the shadows, not just the shadows themselves, but we've got to end this once and for all by erasing. And as um, Franklin puts it, you know, that it, it doesn't matter how many innocent people are in the way. Mm-hmm. So take it, take yeah. it all the way back to death Walker and the Vorlon ship popping True. out and killing death Walker and, say, and you're Kosh not ready. Saying, you're not ready for immortality. They're making an awful lot of decisions on our behalf, and this is just, you know, peak, peak Vorlon. <laughs> peak Vorlon. <laughs> if we if we did specific episode titles for that this one, would I, be I, it. I would, yeah, I would vote for that. <laughs> if we were like the incomparable, that would that would be it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I I do agree that that was that was a really really fascinating and interesting narrative move because it's it's quite a shift in perspective i mean unless you're steven and you just totally mistrusted the vorlons from from day one (laughs) for for him it was more like a reinforcement of everything he ever believed so uh, (laughs) not how i read the story the first time through i was i was totally team vorlon uh, all the way through until this happened and i was just like what oh my god so it it, well maybe that's another um indicator of Babylon 5 being a leader in narrative if this was one of the first times we saw this kind of transformation of characters or races that we thought we could trust Um, Mm -hmm. I certainly am not able to come up with an example previous to Babylon 5 but you know since then this is Mm -hmm. something that you know that happens in television these days so if Stephen's watching with modern eyes I can understand why he may have from the first been suspicious of what appeared to be absolute moral authority yeah and it's not even it's not even a transformation it's a revelation true uh i think yeah that's yeah yeah because we if you if you looked at the lurker's guide uh, archives of his of jms's online comments uh as the show was being aired when Mm -hmm. um you know he would he, he he would let the fans, the online fans know that, you know, if they commented that the Vorlons were behaving a little suspiciciously, he he, he, he wouldn't There's disabuse them of that no- notion. 
<laughs> and I did appreciate how just even in the course of this episode and, you know, a couple previous ones, how they sort of led up to that a little bit with the, you know, more intimate version of this with new ambassador Vorlon in mm-hmm. his treatment of Lita and how she's right. so she's so like puppy dog cowed embarrassed when Delenn walks in and she's got nothing. Oh, I took like, it. I, yeah. I took it even further than that. It's it's uncomfortable for me to watch Lita in this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, it's abuse. Yeah. yeah. Yep. It totally is. Ugh. And uh, yes. It, so her treatment and then uh, her scream, Patricia Tallman's scream when when the ambassador says, you want to see what I see and just like basically mm-hmm. blasts everything into her mind directly. That was that was another sort of like cr- cutting crushing moment for me emotionally wow this was i mean overall i'm going to just come out and say that i'm kind of lukewarm on this episode but there are a few moments in there that really do do get to me mm-hmm. and that is one of them yeah <sighs> yeah I, I i yeah i i like that uh, well i don't like but it, it is effective that um Nukosh and lita are a microcosm of uh, what's getting ready to happen on a, uh, on a, on a universal scale. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. All right. Um, let's see. And then, you know, we mentioned briefly Marcus and Ivanova going off yes. to find the first one. So we get a little more, a little more Marcus and Ivanova and, you know, you can clearly see how Marcus is, is just so sweet on her. And mm-hmm. it's, she seems, she seems a little more relaxed with him this time. As long like. as her back is turned. As long as her back is turned. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like the way that I like the way that uh, his charm is actually starting to affect her, but she never lets him see it. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that is true. That's a, that's that's a nice piece of. Uh, I, I, you know, I wonder: is that in the script? Is that directing? Is that an acting choice? Whatever it is, it it, it works very nicely. And then, um, I actually quite like the bit where we discover that Marcus is a virgin. Because mm-hmm. it's, I feel like JMS did a really, clever is not the right word, but sort of a really elegant way of revealing that because you get, you get a character who has a complete lack of shame about this. Like there's absolutely nothing wrong with the fact mm-hmm. that he is still a virgin and he just admits it and that's fine. But at the same time, you get Ivanova's sort of reaction like, oh my God, I can't believe that, which is a fairly realistic reaction from yeah. probably a lot of people. So you get both sides of it. I thought yeah. it was refreshing to see somebody who was just, you know, being himself and totally fine with it. And that seems like such a Marcus thing to do. Uh, but you also have a realistic reaction to it at the same time. Yeah, because it, it Marcus does not scan as anything other than swashbuckly hero with mm-hmm. a tra- bit of a tragic background. You know, that that, that is a prime set up for somebody who has had relationships and has, you know, lived the life and so forth. And then to find out that, you know, just waiting for the right woman that uh, I love how JMS turns in a a tiny way, turns the expectation on your head. Yeah, I do too. The, every time I see this scene, I do have a little moment of, uh, not, not quite discomfort, but the equation of romance and sex Mm-hmm. That uh, mm-hmm. when you know when Marcus says that he hasn't found the right person yet, the transition from talking about that to uh, as a romantic partner to 
someone he would sleep with. The Venn diagram doesn't always completely overlap on those issues. So the transition from him talking about uh, the woman, the woman he loves, and to uh, Ivanova saying, "You mean you've never uh and no, you know," that transition's not always obvious for me. Mm-hmm. But I do adore where he says, "Hold up, I'm picking up, picking up on something," and Ivanova can't help herself. She says, a, a, a unicorn? And then she apologizes. <laughs> That's the yeah. best part. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying to figure out if that's um, designed to show Susan's background, because we know that she has had relationships. You know, at, at least one um, one ex has shown up on, on Babylon 5 back in season one or early two. I forget which. So I don't know if that's saying something about her expectations of what she equates as romance um, and love versus uh, what Marcus thinks. Mm-hmm. And she also had her relationship with Talia, you know, yeah, however far we think that went. And that was you know, pretty much we, happened we, off we, screen. So we think it went pretty far. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes, we do. We totally do. <laughs> um. All right. Well, I guess now is a, a good time for the the Stephen check-in. Who's excited about Jeff Conaway getting off the station? Um, he really doesn't like Nukash, and he, <laughs> fair yeah. that was a given. Surprise, surprise. He did like the line uh, where um, in the the scene just before Sheridan pops back up, and you've got the aliens saying, "You know what I'm saying?" Membari never tell anyone the whole truth. And Stephen just goes, "He's right there." <laughs> so. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Agreeing, agreeing with that. Um, so I asked him afterward about the episode itself, and he said it was um, specifically about the, the Sheridan thing, um, Sheridan and, and Lorian and his return, that it was very mystical when he was on Zahadum, and then it was not. Stephen found it a very hard shift back into reality, and he didn't think it was a very smooth transition. Um, you know, suddenly it's very corporeal, and they arrive on a spaceship. Just all of a sudden, out of the blue, he thought everything sort of gets a little bit too real. Um, so apart from that hard shift, he, uh, which was very jarring for him, um, he he thought it was fine. Of course, he doesn't like the Vorlons. He doesn't trust them because they're mean. That's what he said. They're mean. Um, and he's going to call uh, Emperor Cartaja Pontius Pilate from now on. So... <laughs> That's that's gonna happen. I apologize in advance. Uh, One of you guys mentioned he really is more of a Herod if you see the movie. Um, That's true. Maybe he'll maybe he'll change his mind. You can you can argue that with him, and he he might be good with that. Okay. Um, And he he actually did agree with you, Chip, uh, about Kosh, New Kosh, and Lita. He says uh, that it's an abusive relationship, and we need to get her out of that. I was very surprised that he was like taking the side of the telepath and speaking about her in such kind terms. (laughs) I didn't I I didn't expect that, considering how annoyed he has been at her. uh, I guess it's more he's been annoyed at her lack of appearance than yeah yeah he's more he's more unhappy with JMS I think (laughs) yeah than than Uh, Lita. He said he made a joke, which I totally didn't get. He, he said she she needs to take a kosh to kosh and then made one of those faces like, see what I did there? And I was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Apparently, um, a kosh, C-O-S-H, C-O-S-H is a weapon. It's yes. a weapon. Yeah. Yeah. Did not know that. So, yes, my hilarious husband. Um, he, <laughs> he thinks that the season is definitely moving the chess pieces. Um, it is full on serial drama. And he's finding it tougher to judge episodes 
on their individual merits now because mm-hmm. it's just one part of a much bigger piece that is that is all happening. But he did say that there was serviceable direction by John McPherson. Um, and he couldn't remember if we'd seen anything from John McPherson before. I wasn't nope. sure. No. Okay. First time yep. we've had him as a director. Yep. He thought that was fine. So yeah. so that is the, uh, the Stephen check-in. Does anybody have anything else that you want to cover before we... Uh, Toddle off to spoiler space. Steven um, is very astute. He is in uh, this is this is sort of the peak Babylon Five experience where uh, the plot just sort of takes over, and you're wondering what's going to happen next. Um, but you're not sort of in mystery mode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is peak action. I think um, yeah. two things that I had um noticed um uh, noted um again as as i just said peak action this time around i felt like yes we've had a little bit of build up with lita's relationship with new kosh being uncomfortable being not good this particular episode it felt a little bit sudden for her to have her conversation with delen and then turn right around after promising to see what she might be able to find out, to be pushed far enough to try and scan new Kosh, which, of course, turned out to be a very bad thing. <laughs> um, I don't know. It made sense to me that she would do it right away because Delenn points out the fact that we're, we're, on a, we're on a clock here. Yeah, that's true. But it, it's, it's still, it was still jarring to me. Um, the other thing I noticed this time that I'm not sure I noticed previous episodes was um, how... It, when the revelation happens that the Vorlons are looking to destroy entire planets just because a, because a shadow ship has landed on them, even Lorien sorts of reacts with surprise. And this is, mm-hmm. you know, somebody who has seen how many billions of millennia of the universe so far, and I, I would think that nothing shocks him anymore. And mm-hmm. but but this did, which I think helped helped to emphasize that this is a. This is something new. That yes, this cycle's been going on for a very long time, but this is different. Very true. All right. Well, I guess it's time to assign homework, and that is falling toward apotheosis, where we will get you know back to our even more opaquely titled Babylon Five episodes. Um, it's okay. It's so a, it's it's a thing for us. It is. It is. Uh, it, it's pretty. It's very. I feel like it's poetic. Falling toward apotheosis. It's, it's nice. It rolls off the tongue. Um, mm-hmm. But until then, do come and chat with us at b5audioguide.com, where you can find spoiler-free and spoiler-filled threads and some of the most intelligent and thoughtful conversation about this show that I have ever had the pleasure of witnessing. Um, and of course, you can also find us on Twitter and Tumblr as well at b5audioguide. And now it is time for us to leave you spoiler phobes behind as we hurtle headlong through a jump gate straight into spoiler space. Garibaldi is back. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, he is. <laughs> he is. And you know what? I, As I've said before, I hadn't really been looking forward to this whole Garibaldi arc thing because I've it just hurts my heart. Um, but this time, I think because of the podcast, I'm watching more closely. And I think that for the first little while, at least, like, you know, it's it's seated nicely that they did something to him while he was gone. But he's got good reasons for the things that he's saying. Yes. Like, it, as, as I said, in pre-spoiler space, I am pretty much on Team Garibaldi at this point, And I'm very interested to see where Steven ends up. I mean, 
just like you said, Shannon, mm-hmm. television now and the way narrative is often structured and things that we've seen as opposed to back then, it's it's a different experience for him. I'm wondering if he's going to just be like, you know, with Garibaldi all the way and not see Sheridan as Mr. Messiah. <laughs> I, mm-hmm. I, I don't know how that's going to work out. I, I don't know either. But th- yeah. that is one of the best things about this plot arc is that for the most part, Garibaldi's suspicions are reasonable. And there are going to be times when Sheridan just absolutely is high-handed. And Mm -hmm. it's really stupid of Sheridan to go all by himself to Mars in in the end. And that's that's sort Mm -hmm. of – there is good reason for Garibaldi to be concerned about uh, Sheridan's hubris. And it's simultaneously a Manchurian candidate kind of situation, and it is a – caution you know you do have the great man story going on here at this point but there is a sort of a check and balance against that yep and and lorian really does provide a a convenient wedge to get this whole thing kicked off i think that jms is very smart smart in in using him in in that way because yeah instantly if you're paying any kind of attention it's kind of like wait a minute why is why does he get to be so secretive when all of these people who have helped Sheridan all along just like they just don't get it get to know the information just because this one guy says so hmm yeah and and I don't even remember anything there's nothing on Lorian's end where he asks for that kind of secrecy not on there, screen, anyway. Yeah, not on screen. There's nothing for us to sh- to see to explain why Sheridan is going to be cagey about that aspect uh, of mm-hmm. of who exactly Lorian is and what he did to help Sheridan. We we don't. He does not reveal this information for a while. No, um, we do get one line because you know Garibaldi older, says yeah. who does who decided that, and Sheridan says he did. So mm-hmm. clearly, they've had some sort of you know discussion yeah, about what mm-hmm. he would tell them. Yeah. But yeah, Garibaldi is no longer uh, Sheridan's number one confidant. Sheridan Mm -hmm. is taking advice and information and is spouting off uh, historical information based on his encounter with one funny looking dude. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Whereas the last time that we saw Sheridan and Garibaldi together, Sheridan was placing the highest trust in Garibaldi by having him be the only person that got any kind of a clue as to where he was going and what he was doing. And this is... 180 degrees from that which is kind of heartbreaking really mm-hmm. yep um also the other one of the other things i noticed is here you know this is sort of the the beginning of the end for new ambassador kosh mm-hmm. now that we know now that we yeah. know the warlands are, are bad news he's his days are numbered oh yeah yeah and that's going to be the real big breaking point for garibaldi because he's not going to be thrilled with uh sheridan saying okay you got to go uh, with guns and get Kosh off the, and order Kosh to get off the station. And that's like mm-hmm. uh, Garibaldi is not thrilled with this course of events because that's suicide. Oh, Sheridan. Yeah. And I'm yeah. trying to remember. Um, I'd speculated at one point at, at just where the breaking point happened between everyone else and, and the Vorlons. And now it's all in place for me because at the beginning of the episode, Dylan points out that she had informed, sent messages to Ka- to Nukash saying, you know, this is our plan. We've got to attack Sahadum. We need the Vorlons. And, you know, this is the point where she realizes, you know, he's not helping. He's not he's not stepping up. Uh, he's not even communicating with me. Lita, can you help? And um, and then, of course, at the end, when it's revealed that the Vorlons are just marching on and, you know, death starring all of these other planets. um 
that, you know, we see this is what tips us into having to take Nukash out um, to prevent the information flow for anything that the Alliance plans. Yeah. As of this episode, the Shadow War is effectively over, even though they're going to still call it that. Uh, mm-hmm. Delin has been still building a fleet to attack Zahadum. But right. at, by the end of this episode, the the Shadows are not the only military problem. Yep. Mm-hmm. Which really, I mean, it leaves you sort of bleak, a bleak future at the end of this episode because it was bad enough. They weren't even sure if they were going to be able to defeat the Shadows with the help of the Vorlons. That was iffy. Now now we've got both the Vorlons and the Shadows as, you know, other sides of fighting against the interests of the younger races. And wow, you know, they're, they must feel like they're completely screwed. Yeah. And yep. I think this is a perfect setup for the way that the war ends because, uh, you know, the war is um, – there are a few people who are watching these episodes for the first time who are li- still listening to spoilers, so I'm not going to mm-hmm. belabor the point here. But the war ends in an unconventional fashion, and mm-hmm. this has become – the war. The stakes have become double because you've got the – you're not up just up against the shadows. You're up against the four lines. It beggars belief that you could do anything militarily against the both yeah. of them. And yeah, this moment sort of sells that. Yeah, very true. I mean, if if Earth couldn't even defeat the Mimbari without the Mimbari just surrendering, there's no way in heck that the younger races are going to take out both of the oldest races. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. they ha- they have to end it in an unconventional way. So I'm I am pleased that that is the way that JMS decided to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Uh, another thing that I, I noticed was uh, Sheridan, who actually in my notes, I just put Messiah much um, just because of the way he's treated here. Uh, but also when he says to Delenn, I'll never leave you, Delenn, not if the whole universe stood between us, which ends up not being quite true. So yeah, kind of made me think forward and go, hmm, it's a sweet promise at this moment, but it doesn't doesn't carry out that way. Well, I mean, uh it's it's the sort of promise you make if you don't think about the fact that sorry for being such a downer, but uh, <laughs> every relationship ends with somebody leaving. So that's true. You know, he yeah, just that just his his clock's running shorter. That's all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and even before then, he's got to go to Mars because well, it's his dad. <laughs> so yeah. right. Well, but to, uh, and before that, Delin leaves him to deal with right. uh, to deal with the, Minbar. The Minbari. So yeah. Yeah, that's true. Oh, uh, this is something that I wanted to I started to say during the pre-spoiler section, but it sort of gives away a little too much, I thought. But all along, we've been talking about the other characters sort of being um, diminished compared to Sheridan so that he can be the great man. Uh, And that may still be the case, but I've kind of been surprised how much agency the rest of the cast has had in these last three episodes. Mm-hmm. Ivanova, I'm going out to look for more first ones. Delin in the command center, commanding Babylon five <laughs> in Ivanova's yeah. absence. I'm yes. I, I feel like, I feel like I've been selling the other characters short because yeah, Stephen I was, know what's going to happen. Stephen was wondering about that. You know, Ivanova left and he's like, who is is taking care of Babylon Five? Like who's in who's in charge? And I was like, I don't know, C- Lieutenant Corwin. I'm not sure. But then <laughs> then we get that shot of her in, in control, and he's like, Oh, Delenn, of course, that makes perfect sense. That's great. So yeah, <laughs> that was yeah. awesome. 
I only have one other thing uh, for future episodes that I'd like to bring up is that we will see that torture chamber again in the very long night of uh, Lando Malari. And we will see uh, Andreas Ketsulis doing his best, Emperor Cartagia. And that's going to be delightful. <laughs> Something to look forward One, to. Two, three. Just perfect. Perfect. Sorry. <laughs> so good. Shannon, anything else uh, that you would like to talk about for the future? This Watching it this time around, it hit me slightly. As iffy as the line delivery itself was when um, Veer says... You know, I've changed my mind. Kill him. And I'm like, uh, yeah, you're gonna. Yeah. <laughs> you don't know it yet, but you're gonna. So that struck me this time. We didn't talk about pre-spoiler um, Ivanova's lessons in Mimbari. <laughs> um, That's true. Yeah, that that amused me quite a bit as a language teacher myself of, mm. you know, the idea of teaching yourself sort of out of a book or whatever without like actually going out and conversing with other people that speak the language natively on a regular basis is is a recipe for, you know, miscommunication at best and disaster at worst. So, yeah, to, to see Claudia Christian, you know, trying to say these Mimbari phrases that she thinks she knows what they mean and she's doing it in the right tone of voice. And then, you know, Dylan telling Marcus, if anyone laughs. Yeah. <laughs> just, <laughs> I thought it was... <laughs> I just... They are the, both they being... Are very kind to her. Yeah, they're yes. both they're they're both in the in the Minbari tradition, which uh, yes. Marcus mm-hmm. is a full player in. You know, they are they are lying to save Ivanova's embarrassment, mm-hmm. and yeah. that was actually a, the scene that was shot for the previous episode and slotted out for time. And I think it actually works better in this episode. Just you know, keep it all mm-hmm. contained. Yeah. I do. Yeah, because the, yeah, because they're they're setting up their trip. That they're going to be taking that very... Yeah, it works mm-hmm. better now, I think. Yep, me too. Well, I think that is that is a, a, a nice sort of light note to end on, which, which, is, which is good. <laughs> Unlike this episode, which ends on such a, such a oh my God, we're screwed. Uh, let's, let's think about, think about Ivanova saying the word rat catcher, which <laughs> weirdly enough also came up in whatever Stephen and I watched next i don't remember what it was but like steven was like we just heard the word rat catcher or read it twice i was like what is happening very strange <laughs> well we are in alberta where they have no rats there are actual government employees that like patrol the borders to make sure rats don't get into alberta so that's uh okay. i suppose rat catchers okay. is okay. appropriate yeah it's li- it's a thing it is a thing look it up <laughs> all right well, thank you. <laughs> thank you, everyone, for listening. We we hope that you have been enjoying this trip through Babylon 5 as much as we are. Uh, and do join us next time when Shannon leads us as we fall toward apotheosis. And until then, this is Erica in Edmonton. Shannon in Durham. And Chip in Durham. And you've been listening to the audio guide to Babylon 5. <laughs>